This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Eric Matlick. He is one of the founders of Bombora and currently guides vision and corporate strategy at the company, bringing over 15 years in founding, board, and executive management experience to the company. An online performance marketing pioneer, his insights about the confluence of data analytics, media operations, ad serving technology, sales, and marketing processes are the driving force behind Bombora's value proposition. Eric, are you ready to take us to the top? All right. All right. So 15 years, been there, done that. When, uh, tell me about the, the kind of the launch date of Bombora and what it does and, and your revenue model. How do you make money? Yeah. So we're hoping to ask like three different questions. I know. So, sorry. Um, you know, we, that's fine. It's fine. It's all good. So, you know, the, the history is very interesting. For me, it's interesting. I've done a, a number of startups. Progression has gone from uh, pay-per-click back in the day before Google was auctioning clicks. We were the first to market there with a B2B product called Industry Brands. Um, as things evolved, I started to see that in the B2B space, there was a need for a platform for content syndication and lead creation. So I built a, after I sold industry brands, I started a company called Madison Logic. And then the genesis there was really getting into the, the guts of B2B advertising and lead generation. I, I noticed that data was a very important piece and we just did enough of it. And we sought out to start building a data cooperative or data collective strategy. And that's where the concept of yet another company. And that's how Bombora got started. Which was so, what year? Uh, that was, we, we spun out uh, about three years ago now. So, so we'll call it 2014. Uh, Bombora will be three years in, in, uh, in October. Cool. So 20, 2014. And I want to get more into the spin out story there in case there's entrepreneurs listening, thinking about doing that same kind of structure. But before we do that, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, what does Bombora do and what is the revenue model? How do you make money? So at the core of what we do, we're, we're a data co-op. And what that means is we have partnered with uh, many, many uh, publishers and very notable large ones like the Wall Street Journal, uh, CBS, Quinn Street, um, Bloomberg recently. They all pool their behavioral uh, and B2B data together so that they have more scale and they know more about their users and they can build insightful, uh, innovative products for their advertisers and marketers. So that's at the core of what we do. Uh, we have three, three different products, if you will, that are the, that are the Bumbler family. There's uh, Surge Analytics, where we can identify using all of the data that we have access to. We can identify what companies in the world are interested in your products. So if you're a B2B marketer, let's say IBM or Lenovo, and you're trying to sell a product like servers, we can actually identify which companies out of two companies in the world are most likely to be in market for servers uh, in the next three to six months, let's say. And are the, can you, when you go through each of these models, are these all SaaS models? That, that part is a SaaS model. We sell it as a subscription. 
And we sell it either direct or through uh, our channel partnerships. We have over 55 channel partners who uh, sell uh, our analytics SaaS product, if you will. The other product, Audience Solutions, is uh, sometimes SaaS, but more more um, more frequently not SaaS. It is is a, uh, a product that's bought on a CPM, which is a cost per thousand. BD world, what that means is they they're buying data and they pay for it as they use it. For every thousand impressions that they use our data to target an ad, they pay us a certain cost per thousand. So it's a variable price. Uh, but what we have seen is that the more subscriptions that we sell, the more revenue um, we drive on the um, the variable piece of our business as well. Yeah, yeah. Just to get an understand though of where your mind's at is, it, you know, it does more or less than eighty percent of your revenue come from the software, the SaaS. So you know, we launched the analytics a year and a half ago. We've been in the variable uh, data business, the audience solutions business. Oh, so that was first. Week. That was first. So you know, it was obviously hundred percent for the first year and a half. It's about sixty forty. So the the SaaS analytics piece of our business is growing a little bit faster, and it's now about forty percent of our revenue. And it'll it'll continue to grow. They're both growing. Um, the, but most importantly to me as a CEO and managing investors, I like the variable piece because there's a lot of upside on the variable piece. The most important part is that the SaaS piece drives more re- variable revenue. So the, in the variable piece to us is SaaS-like revenue. It's the same customers. So to get into some numbers for you, we actually have almost 4,000 or approximately 4,000 customers of our data, many of which are not buying from us directly. They're buying through our distribution channels. Does that mean 4,000 are, are paying you for the SaaS platform or 4,000, whether directly or indirectly, are using your that's variable? A, that's a combination of, of everything. The... SaaS platform is probably in the hundreds right now, and we're, we have a, an account-based strategy, if you will, uh, where we're going after the largest companies first. So we we uh, like a key account list, and so we're we're going after you know the very largest B two B companies. CRMs might be the tool that I fight with the most. I just haven't found one that I really liked. I don't know if you guys are the same way, but they're just so tricky. And a while ago, I had a guy named John Lee on my show. He's the CEO of ProsperWorks. And he told me they just passed 40,000 customers and 24 million in annual revenue. So they're doing about $286,000 in revenue per employee. And I said, wow, why is this working? And I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. So I went to prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM, signed up, and it immediately became clear why it worked. Those of you that love growth hacking, you should go to that link just to see how they do the onboarding. That's prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM. In short, it's like magic. You know, I'm not the guy that, you know, finishes the sales call and then takes the time to actually put data into the CRM. They have this magical way of just doing it. And it's a beautiful thing. So every morning when I wake up, I just go, okay, what leads are ProsperWorks telling me to reach out to because they're most likely to close and it works so well. And you guys know I love money and I love only focusing on the leads that are going to close. So I encourage you to try ProsperWorks. They're sponsoring the show. Check them out at prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM. Folks, that's again prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM. This is very similar to like what a lot of ad tech companies are doing right now where they were all built on 
kind of taking, it depends on their scale, like media ocean, it's less than a percent. Some people are taking up to 20, 30, 40% or 40 cents on the dollar of ad spend going through their platform. They're all trying to invent SaaS platforms now to aggregate this data and make it more valuable. Are you're generally following those same footsteps? Yeah. And, but you bring up an interesting point, ad tech. So we, we are, we're unique in the sense that we're not specific to ad tech. We actually, our data flows through the whole marketing and sales stack, right? So we, we partner with, for example, in the marketing space, Marketo. We, our data flows into Marketo. So when we meet with a CMO, we are truly unifying sales and marketing. We can speak to a, C, a CMO and say, hey, you can, there's a lot of use cases for our data. Let's find a place to start. Let's find a place that works. But the nice thing is they can use our data to unify internally and externally so they can target the right buyers at the right companies at the right time for programmatic display, for email nurturing. That's where the Marketo and Eloquos come in. For sales, we integrate into CRM. So different than some of those other point solutions that I mentioned, uh, we're really more agnostic to the ecosystem, but also in every part of sales and marketing. You know, if Bill, if Bill Weiss heard you call him a point solution, he'd come at you. You know that, right? <laughs> well, I saw him days ago. I didn't say that to him. So. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm only half joking. Um, so, okay, that's helpful to understand. Thanks for that clarification. So let's get more of the backstory here now that we understand more about what the company does. So you spun this out three years ago. Have you guys uh, fundraised or have you bootstrapped the thing? We bootstrapped, you know, we, we, uh, Combination of both. I will say, you know, I have a group of businesses that's funded three of my companies now. So we have done, we have raised some and led by myself. Fortunately, you know, I was able to lead the round. And so we, we raised, you know, seven figures. Um, but uh, we've been, we've been. How much of your own organic. capital, Eric, have, have you put in? Uh, probably about 70, 80% of it is mine. You know, well, over, well over seven figures myself. But, but it's like, it's, it's, we believe we've been able to grow organically because we have a product. There was a need in the market for our product. We um, have been fortunate enough that we kind of, we chose the right product at the right time. We didn't have to pivot once or twice or three times. Um, we've, we've been very fortunate that way. So, you know, I mean, it's good. Now you said we, so you're obviously one of the founders. What's the rest of the founding team look like? Yeah. So I've got, uh, so there's, there's uh, a CRO essentially worked with, with me for two different companies before this. Um, I'm a product and tech also worked at Madison logic. So, uh, there's a lot of familiarity there and, uh, I had a data acquisition who worked with me at one company previously. So f- did I hear that right? There was four, the U plus three others. That's right. That's okay. Right. Got it. And now, I mean, to the extent that you can, cause there are other people that are, are thinking about doing what you did. They're in a company now. They see something they can spin out. They have a little team they want to take with them. I mean, how one do you negotiate the spin out cleanly from the parent company and two, how do you, especially when you put in 78% of the capital, how do you have the equity conversation with your three co-founders? That's, that's a big question. So the first part is, you know, I, w- I was in a good situation. I've had this conversation with other CEOs, um, and it really depends on your cap table, uh, whether or not you can spin out. You know, I positioned it was it was better for everybody um, by by. And this goes back to why did we even spin it out? We spun out because we were a media business. We wanted to start a data cooperative. And in order to do that, I had to talk to media businesses and convince the other media businesses that if we collaborated and worked together, we would all win, right? The problem was that I was a media business. So naturally, 
they wanted they wouldn't work with me until I was a separate entity. So it made sense logically, and I was able to go to the investors, my investors, and I said, we have an opportunity here. It's not a threat. Uh, there's an opportunity to spin out, create even more uh, equity value for the investors uh, if we have a separate entity that focuses on this market. And that's how that happened. And then so is, the, is, the parent the com- is the parent company on the Bombora cap table? No, it was just the, the investors. We did a spin out. We refunded it as a company. Interesting. So why would the parent, what was in it from the parent company then? What did they get out of all this? Did you buy this piece of tech from them or? So again, so I actually, the, the cap table of the original company was very similar to this one. Um, this it was, was all mainly you. I didn't. Right. It was mainly me and a bunch of angels. We didn't have a complicated cap structure with preferred shares, all common shares. There was no uh, VC uh, or you know private equity or anything like that involved. So I was able to do that and prove that it would make sense to spin it out as a separate entity and uh, let it let it. And at the time, by the way, we had no revenue. You know, we were really it was in its infancy. It was a little bit more than an idea at that point. So, so you left kind of kid number one for kid number two what happened to kid number one i mean are they dead or are you bigger than them now or no who's... no they're doing great actually so we i hired a ceo at the time i said that was part of the plan was we're gonna spin it out i'm gonna hire a ceo who's you know probably better than me at where the the the, 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 the current phase of the company uh to drive it to the next the next phase i feel that i'm really good at the the idea of startup you know bringing product to market phase and so I brought him in to be the CEO. He then went on to run it for about two, two and a half years and then sold the whole business. Oh, great. And the, the whole business was was sold. Well, and, what did it uh, sell for? Is it public? It's uh, it's not public and I can't disclose the price, but there are articles. I believe there's one in Fortune that, that talks about this. What did, what Just to save me the Googling time, what did Fortune say? It's speculative, but what'd they say? They were speculative that, that it, it was... Uh, and they, they, they said they, they said something like it had to have been over a hundred million because of the filings that we did. Was it? <laughs> I can't. I can't. Get that. I, can't I just want. Hey guys, I wanted you to. I wanted to capture Eric's reaction to that question on camera, so you can watch his face and judge for your <laughs> judge for yourself. All right. So good. So that was a obviously a six, whatever happened successful. There was a good exit there. You're now focused on kid number two. It's scaling. Give us a sense of the company size today. How many employees? Yeah. So we du- we've doubled every year now. So we're in our third third year. Uh, we're now up to sixty employees. And, based where? Uh, so we're we're based. <clears throat> our headquarters is New York, uh, but our employees are almost equally split between New York City and Reno. Reno is where our head of tech uh, and uh, product uh, resides. We have uh, some of our data science team there, some of our engineers there, um, and New York has also some of our engineers, some of our data science, but most of our salespeople are either in New York, and then we have an office in Cisco. Recently opened an office in London, uh, in, in the UK. And are you guys cash flow positive at this point? Or are you still funding the company? Yeah, we are. Um, oh, that's great. Last we were, we were basically cash flow neutral last year, and this year so far we're profitable and cash flow positive. That's really really great. Are you comfortable sharing? I mean, from a revenue perspective, where are you guys at? What's your goal? Where are you headed? Yeah, we don't we don't disclose numbers. I will say that last year we did well over ten million, and then I told you that we we, we doubled again. So we're. Uh, we're doing quite well. That's good to understand. Now, three years from now, do you, I mean, 
have you had the, 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 the planning with your management team you're at an offsite right now? I mean, is there a scenario where you say, Hey guys, I want you to get in your head that two years from now, none of this is variable CPM based. It's all SAS. If we didn't have the CPM stuff, like go all in on the, on the SAS, how would we do that? I mean, is that, a, is that a thought? Is that the direction? It's not actually. Okay. So we love SAS revenue and we're, we want it to be a bigger piece of the pie. But, um, I, I, you know, I, I like variable revenue. You know, variable revenue allows you to have some upside. I'd like more consistency in the business. I'd like to be able to predict and project our revenue, like I said, for three years out. Um, but I also like to have, well, I need it too, but I like the, the variable piece as, as, a, as the icing on the cake rather than the cake. Yeah, it makes good sense, Eric. Let's, uh, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? I'm actually reading Lords of Finance right now. Um, it's kind of a throwback. But, um, Hoping to find some some nuggets of information in there. Maybe it'll help me try to understand the application of cryptocurrency. You sound really excited about that. What cryptocurrency or, <laughs> or Lords of Finance? Lords, it's a bit of, of a dry book. There's a lot of information. I was going to say there. you said that it's like fun. like very dryly. <laughs> it is. It's a bit of a dry book. All right. With, with info. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, again, I'm going to a bit of a throwback. I'm going to go back to every time I look for quotes or inspiration. I wind up finding myself on a page about either Steve Jobs or, you know, um, someone in that, 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 that genre and you just can't get away from it. Number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool? I'm going to go with Surfline. I find myself Surfline or Magic Seaweed the most. What is it? Surfline. Thriftline? Surf. Surf. I was in like surfing waves. Surfline. Surf. Got it. Okay, so you're a surfer. Good stuff. All right. N- number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Well, certainly not eight. I, I have a... Uh, I'm wearing a Fitbit here, <laughs> so I've been trying to monitor that. It seems to be between five and six during the week, and then I try to sneak in an eight-hour week uh, weekend night. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Married, four kids, and uh, they're almost all teenagers now. Okay, so you're, you're packed. And how old are you, Eric? 47. 47. Last question. Take us back 27 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Gosh, uh, two things. Be patient and think big. Be patient and think bigger. There you guys have it from Eric. He's He's been through it over and over again. He had a successful exit with kid number one after exiting and spinning out this new company because he saw a big opportunity. He's now self-funded it himself, well over seven figures, self-funded, you know, most of that money coming from him, 70, 80%. But what they're doing is very interesting, right? They've got a model that is SaaS. They're a data co-op. They've got about 60% of the revenue coming from a variable uh, piece that's really payable on a CPM basis. Uh, They're growing almost doubling year over year, past 10 million bucks in revenue last year with their team of 70 based between Reno, Nevada, and New York City. Eric, thank you for taking us to the top. All right. Thank you.